improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host Dr Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic. So first podcast of the year. I've had a bit of a break for a couple of weeks to just kind of rest and reflect and relax and all that kind of stuff and I'm rearing to get back into it to just add in another R word. So beginning of a new year from a psychological perspective it's what they talk about as a blank slate we as humans tend to look at these blank slate periods as an opportunity to set new goals to set new intentions to refocus and um, to and the psychology of it is that we sort of look at the year that's just passed as well the habits that I got into they're no longer applicable because we're in a new year Um, Interestingly, we have similar sorts of blank slate perspective around when it's a new year for us. You know, then after your birthday, you'll often be motivated to take on new behaviours, new goals, new focuses. And uh, even the first, a new month, a new quarter, whatever it is, I look at it from the perspective of, yeah, we're sort of, it's it's an irrational, glitchy belief, but you might as well use it for the value that it can create because I think it is a really useful circuit breaker to get out of the habits that you've been into and look really step back and go well what would I like to achieve in the year ahead so talking to chiropractors I've had a couple of chiropractors contact me over the last three or four weeks and certainly previous years I've had a number of chiropractors say look for the new year I want to focus on growing my practice I want to focus on improving my communication skills so that I can help more people or I can feel more confident or whatever it is, There's, it's often a time of year where chiropractors are really motivated to work on their skills in an area so that they can help more people have more of an impact. And certainly I think that's a great thing. It's a, it's a really good way of launching into the year. One of the challenges that I see though when people look at wanting to grow their practices is that, and we've spoken about it a lot of times on the podcast, There's, I think, a bit of a misunderstanding of what you should focus on if you want to effectively and sustainably have a growing practice. And this is the thing that we spoke about right at the very beginning of um, Under the Influence, which is the that sort of quick growth fetish that we have as a profession. And uh, over this last sort of few weeks of the new year, I've been bombarded with ads of quick growth and Facebook ads and you need more new patients and people automatically seem to leap to the idea of if I want to grow my practice then what I need is more new patients or people will look to me for communication ideas and and I think there's a a a understandable rationale rationale around wanting to start and well how would you communicate to get new patients but I think it sort of speaks of a weakness that If you've been in practice for any longer than a year, if you look back at the last year or the last two years and look at the number of new clients, new patients, new practice members that have come into your practice and it just um, do the maths of if all of them were still coming in once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, would you have space for a whole stack of new patients, a whole stack of new clients? 
And so I think what it points to is that realistically, if we're wanting to help a lot of people and we're wanting to help people to the highest level, that comes about when they're hanging around for a while, when they're having care over a, a period of time rather than coming in for because you've given some discount offer and they come in for a couple of visits and don't like what they've received and don't come back in. So it's not that you should never do external promotions, but I think we need to kind of maximise the internal mechanisms first. So I want to talk a little bit about a kind of a framework that Cialdini talks about in terms of what it actually takes to successfully influence people. Because the other thing that I'll often have chiropractors approaching me about is, well, what should I say to people so that they get it? And that underestimates what actual the process of influence. Um, so there's a lot more to it than what you say. There's the element of, well, what do they hear and what do they understand based on their frame of reference? But there's a lot more than that. Anyway, that will probably all sound a bit abstract, but it'll all make perfect sense as we move forward. So the framework that I want to talk about is one that Cialdini talks about where he essentially says there's a whole lot of different influence strategies or approaches you can use, but there's sort of a sequence or a three-part framework that you can use to successfully or to increase the chance of successfully influencing people in any domain. And I'm going to explain the framework and then I'm going to explain how you can apply it in a couple of different domains. Quick little plug, this is the framework that I am using within the um, communication to improve patient care seminars that I will be touring around Australia. So starting off in um, Tassie and Launceston in February, um, all the dates you can find via the link in the show notes or at insideoutpractices.com. Um, I'm also, just as a little aside from my plug, this is starting to spiral out of control, I've had a heap of people in the UK ask if I would come to the UK to present this information because the GCC has given them a directive to focus on communication and I cannot come to the UK with all the COVID craziness, but I will be presenting it as an online program um, with interaction, with feedback, all that kind of stuff, details to come shortly. But back to the actual framework. So the framework that Cialdini talks about has three sort of components to it. The first one is before we try and actually tell people anything, before we uh, really start to the process of trying to influence them, we first of all have to build a relationship, then we have to reduce uncertainty, and only then do we move into the third phase to motivate action, which is kind of what chiropractors are asking me when they say, well, what should I be explaining? How should I be explaining chiropractic so that people get it? So important thing here is if we want to have that or that set up our practice to have ongoing growth, if we want to help more people, we've actually got to, for a moment, forget about what we say to people about chiropractic, we've got to work on those first two steps. We've got to build a relationship and we've got to reduce their uncertainty. And their uncertainty is a, is even more important for us as chiropractors because of the, uh, the brand equity that we have, the brand issues that we have, the lack of 
cultural authority that we have as chiropractors, there's even a higher level of uncertainty that people have when they're coming to see us. So we need to be extra focused on those sort of areas if we're wanting to have um, an influence. So um, I want to just touch on some more specifics about how you go about doing that. And I'm going to give the example of when you meet somebody in the practice for the first time when they're coming in as a new client. I also want to talk about how we could use this framework in um, structuring our communication for people when they reschedule or cancel an appointment um, and why it's so important that we look at it in this sequence rather than um, just what do I say in each of those circumstances. Um, so before we get into that, really important, there's a couple of principles that we talk about from the influence literature that underlie that framework, that framework of building a relationship first, reducing their uncertainty second, and then motivating action third. A um, couple of things. First of all, people buy you before they buy your message. So the bottom line is that um, we are wired to be these sort of hunter-gatherers who would live in a, tri a small tribe of people who were super important to our survivability. So we are wired to then um, look at the, the sort of situations and feel safer and have a preference for doing business with people that we feel are part of our tribe. So as quickly as possible, we want to build a relationship with people so that they feel like they're in the, the same, so that they feel they're, they're in the same tribe and that will go a long way to reducing the uncertainty because they'll feel safer. Second thing that's really important to realise is that people do what they do because they believe what they believe and so we're not really necessarily in the business of presenting something to people that they will look at um, in isolation, they're going to look at it relative to their existing beliefs. And I've said that a lot on this podcast, that where the big issue for communication as a chiropractor is that we're often coming to things from different beliefs. People are coming in with a, with a belief that they should only go and see a healthcare provider when they have symptoms. They should only come in when uh, for a short period of time. All these kind of beliefs that then drive behaviours that... Um, are at odds often with what we think would best serve them. Next principle that we need to be aware of is that people decide based on emotion and then post hoc, after they've already made that sort of intuitive drive, that gut feeling of what they should do, they then look for rationale, rationales or reasons to support the decision they've already made. So presenting a whole lot of logic and data and statistics isn't as effective as we think it should be. All right, so how does all this play out? How do we build a relationship? How do we reduce uncertainty? How do we motivate action? So if we're looking at a first visit, then the first thing we want to do is sort of send signals to, as to how we are in the same tribe as the other person. So we want to create a sense of connection. Now there's different strategies that we would use on a visit-to-visit -visit basis once we've got an existing relationship to very quickly create connection. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different strategies that I would teach in the various programs that I teach, whether it's retention recipe or um, daily visiting uh, communication. But one of the fastest ways when you have a new person there is to find a sense of commonality. And so that can either be by, um, if they've been referred to you, by 
touching on, well, how do you know Gary, who recommended you to me? Oh, you guys play golf together. Okay, and so how long have you guys been playing at Commonwealth for? What are you... Uh, what, what's your handicap? How often do you play? Yeah, Gary's a great guy. And so I'm creating connection there on a couple of levels. I'm creating a connection where you and I are connected by Gary or we're connected by um, an understanding of golf or whatever it is. But I'm looking for that connection either through a referrer or I can look for connection through their job. I'll look, it says here you're an accountant. What sort of accountant are you? And so asking them some questions and demonstrating a shared respect and value around what they do. It can even be if they've got kids, how many kids do you have, creating a connection around an interest in their children. So look for an opportunity to get on the same page. So I just want to flesh out, and I've spoken about this on the podcast previously, but it's super important to be on the same tribe as somebody. But the cool thing is that we define if somebody's in our tribe or not in our tribe in a lot of different contexts. So if you've had the experience of being overseas and then you run into somebody who comes from the same country as you, you'll feel a sense of commonality with them, a sense of being having a connection with them that you wouldn't have if you'd met that same person at home. Um, similarly, there's a, a lot of research that the influence literature talks about where if you share a name or even a first letter of your name, you'll feel a higher sense of positivity towards that person. So really what we're looking for is that Venn diagram of where can I find a crossover with this person so that I'm going to build a relationship with them. Now, obviously, there's more to it, but I just want to point out the importance, but also it's kind of super easy to build a relationship, but we need to do that first rather than getting right into the, I'm going to ask you the questions or have you tell me the stuff so that I can tell you what you need to do. That idea that it's all about what you say and what they say. There's this whole subtext going on there that we need to see them as a person before we get to that more transactional stuff. So moving into the next part of it, the reducing the uncertainty part of it. So this is where um, sometimes using data and statistics, so long as you do that with language of restraint, can be helpful. So using phrases like somebody coming to see you and saying, uh, look, the research in this area, people with low back pain, people like with headaches tend to respond really well to chiropractic care. That sense of authority does help to reduce uncertainty. You can also use your experience. Look, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've seen thousands of people who, with situations like this that can also help to reduce uncertainty. There's one other thing that I think is super important that we need to speak about in terms of uncertainty which is, um, and this applies probably more to a second visit when you're giving recommendations, um, but it's the idea of um, always allowing them to know that they have the power to make the decision. So if you were, uh, one of the things that can um, have people choose not to have care is where they feel like you're trying to convince them to do something. So if you're, in your goal to grow your practice and your goal to help the person kind of overstepping and trying to and they feel that there's any degree of 
uh, sort of coercion um, or over persuasion or salesiness in it, then it's really common for people to, to where, even if they might see the logic of, look, this should help me, I, I believe this person can help me, they will push back against it because it feels so shit. It feels sleazy to have your sense of uh, autonomy impeded by that. So another strategy you can use, apart from just not being salesy when you're presenting things to people, but almost proactively telling them, look, it, what I'm gonna do is ask you some questions, then I'm gonna suggest we do some tests to see what's going on. Um, on the next visit, I'll map out a plan for you to get this sorted out and um, move forward to deal, minimize the chance of it coming back. Um, when I map out that plan, it's gonna be completely up to you. It's entirely your choice. And so the antidote to that reactance, that pushing back, is um, autonomy statements, making sure that you are putting in there a statement that says it's completely up to you. So we've built a relationship by through creating a connection, then we've reduced uncertainty by creating a sense of authority either through research suggests or I've got a lot of experience in this area or chiropractic's been able to help a lot of people in this area and we've further reduced uncertainty by using that autonomy statement. When I map out the plan, it's gonna be completely your choice. Um, and then it's only then once we've done those things that we get to motivate them to action. Now, the motivating to action is probably the big piece of the puzzle. Um, we're gonna, um, on a first visit, we're gonna be looking to um, unpack the real size of the problem. We're gonna be using strategies that we've spoken about in the uh, podcast previously, like bridging, where we talk about um, uh, so that we're working with people across all the different levels of belief. We're gonna map out to them. So I'm gonna map out a plan for what we need to do to deal with the pain and also to minimize the chance of it coming back. We're gonna work out what we need to do to deal with the underlying problem. And also gonna be explaining to you why the majority of the people who come in to see me on any day are coming in here to help their body work at its best and explaining specifically why that might be valuable for that person. We're going to be using all those strategies that we've been over in previous episodes of the podcast. But the important point that I really wanted to emphasize here is before we get to those things, we've got to do the first two strategies, the first two steps first. We've got to build a relationship, then reduce their uncertainty, and only then do we sort of earn the right to motivate them to action. So if we apply this framework in a slightly different scenario, we have the scenario of people either cancelling an appointment or rescheduling an appointment. And so this time the communication most of the time is going to be coming from some, a support staff, a, a CA. Um, but the framework of it is essentially the same. Now, the reason that I bring this up is um, here in Australia, we are right at the moment having um, a surge of COVID cases. And it's meaning that there's a lot of people who are moving appointments, cancelling appointments, because either they're a small number, at least my experience is it's only a small number of them are sort of concerned that they might catch the virus. The majority of them, it's more, they've been designated a close contact or they've actually got COVID. And so there's a very strong position here in Australia that they should be staying in isolation for a period of about a week. And that creates some chaos in your practice, but 
and there's been chiropractors been who've been ringing me saying what should i be saying what should we be saying to them to get them to come back in and uh and you know i understand the impetus for that because um it sucks to have you know three five ten whatever number of people moving out of your practice and i've been hearing a lot of chiropractors are seeing you know 20 30 or 40 percent um, of their normal volume is rescheduling because of this reason. So it's a challenge. I, I don't want to move away from that for a minute, but I think we need to look at it in the long term, in that if we try in this situation where those people are stressed and concerned and have other things going on, and we look at it too much from our perspective of how do I get them to do what I want them to do, um, because I'm now worried and stressed about what this means in terms of the impact on my practice moving forward. And if they if they don't have an appointment in, then what's going to they it's going to they're going to drop out of care. All these sort of stories that we tell ourselves. I think it's really important that we zoom out a little bit and look at it from a big picture. So if we go back to the the first part of it, build a relationship. So I think we need to zoom back and look at it first of all. If we are in a relationship with somebody and they're going through a challenging time, the first thing we need to do is to kind of look at it from their perspective and go, oh, that must really be concerning for you. And so we want our CA's first response to be, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything we can do? Do you need anything dropped off? Are you okay for food? All of those sort of things. Um, and be willing to drop stuff around. We've done it for a couple of people, but it's one of those things that if you have a relationship that, if you want a relationship that goes over years, you need to be willing to do those things in the short term. The, the next thing is to reduce the uncertainty. So um, in terms of the uncertainty, this is where um, we don't want to, I guess, sort of introduce uncertainty by telling them to do things that they feel uncomfortable about. So if they say they want to cancel, you don't want to be overly forceful with the, look, it's important that you get you keep your care on track. I'll reschedule that for a week's time. We'll see you then. Because if it creates a sense of your impinging on my autonomy, that's going to create reactance. It's going to feel like that you're trying to manipulate them. Having said that, it does serve them for them to schedule the appointment. So all I suggest there is the same sort of approach that we used with the first person. We want to use autonomy statements in there. So the approach that our CAs are using and are trained to use is to say, first of all, check in on the person. Oh, that's that's really rough. I'm sorry you're having to isolate. How long are you needing to isolate for? Okay, so I'll take that appointment out what most people are doing, and the advantage of using most people, is that we tend to um, look at what the behaviour of others as a guide for what to do in uncertain circumstances. So if we use the language of most people, what most people in that circumstance are doing is they're putting something in for about a week's time because standard isolation is seven days. That way you've got something in place um, that make sure that you don't lose any any more ground than you, you absolutely have to by not being able to come in. If anything changes, then um, we can easily move that um, further along if that suits you. Um, but what we're doing is we're doing it as a suggestion to them and implied in the suggestion is that it's completely up to them. Um, if there's somebody who says, 
oh yeah, look, I, I really don't know, then just say, look, that's completely reasonable. I get it. Um, did you want us to just send you a text in about a week um, to just check in on you and see whether that timing works for you? So just have a couple of options there, both of which leave the control with them, um, which is ultimately where it is anyway, but we minimise the chance of creating uh, an unfortunate circumstance. Um, and in that one, I've then also um, touched on the motivate to action. So what I've essentially done there in the wording of that is motivated them to action through what's called fear of loss, which is essentially at the time that people are having to self-isolate and they're either worried about COVID or worried about how they're going to cope with seven days stuck at home, um, they're not as focused on whatever situation brought them into your office. So we just want to gently bring that back in. And by the way that I did that was by, by just making sure we minimise the chance of things going backward for you um, when you're not able to come into the practice. So what we've done there is we've done kind of a simple three steps to create really long-lasting and effective influence. It's based on Robert Cialdini's approaches, who's the godfather of the influence literature. So you know that it's credible. It's not just stuff that I'm making up. The thing that I think is really important about it is that it, it also it allows us to get what we want in terms of helping more people, in terms of practice growth and all the benefits that that gives us. But it's really uh, making sure that we're helping other people first. The first thing is that other people get their needs met and then we get our needs met as a consequence of successfully getting their needs met. So if this is an approach that appeals to you, then I would encourage you to, um, if you're in Australia, check out the um, Communicating Chiropractics to Improve Patient Care uh, workshops that will be happening around Australia. Other resources, um, as I said, I'm going to be hopefully presenting that in the UK. Um, watch this space for more details on that. And um, the other thing that um, this is sort of baked into all the other communication workshops that I teach, but very specifically that three-part approach is part of the retention recipe. So thanks everybody and I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Under the Influence podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you can catch all future episodes of the Under the Influence podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, then you will love the online program, The Retention Recipe. It's all about communication strategies that you can employ in somebody's first 12 visits that help transition them from a pain level of health belief to a prevention level of health belief and open up the opportunities for them to see chiropractic as part of a performance or wellness lifestyle. Check it out at insideoutpractices.com.